And welcome back. This is definitely the show of controversial views and current events. This is Buff Daddy Dom, and I am with my partner. Assalamu alaikum, my brother, peace and Nazir. How we doing today? I can't call it cuz. This is Can't Be Canceled. And <laughs> yeah, we you know back on that. Right. You know how I'm right. As always, as always, never left it. Uh, so today, we are, uh, you know, I, we we always enjoy our time together, and, and we always thank our listeners for coming out. We are now, uh, I want to say, fifty six people strong, and I appreciate every last one of you. And I don't know how many of you uh, can identify with me when I would say I would like to speak to and acknowledge Mr. Earl Simmons, Darkman X, DMX, uh, <laughs> Rough Rider. Oh, that's General. what his name stood for. Yeah, Dark Man X. Most people, uh, bro. It's there's been a lot of uh, I don't, I never like to knock the way people mourn, but somebody said Dog Man X, but he was a rapper, a, a, a battle rapper at that. So I just like I feel some type of way. It was like, how can you of all people make that mistake? I, if he would been the only way he could have been made a worse mistake if he was from New York himself. But <laughs> I digress. Um, I definitely, uh, but. No, um, it's it was a tough week for a hip hop culture, uh, hip hop in general. I, I, I caution to say for black culture, I, I, I would like to say for conventional black pop culture, it was definitely a tough week for us. And uh, I, for one, am I'm saddened by the loss. Uh, I've had a, I have my own personal connection to, to his music, and um, you grew I, up I don't really too much into. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> first time I heard his music was um, it was actually his second album. I heard his I heard his first album, but uh, the only video that was out for the first album at the time when I was growing up that I knew of anyway. Let, let me go say that I knew of was the Rough Riders anthem, and uh, uh, <laughs> I. I only reason only reason I remember that video is because it was on this show, uh, this channel called The Box. The Box. I lived in the projects at this. Yeah, I lived in the projects at this time, so we didn't have cable. So there was a uh, channel thirty two in Cleveland, and it was called The Box. They did videos. They did mostly rap videos during the day, but at night they did like you know punk rock shit like that. But mm -hmm. for, when I get out of school. It was like one of the first things I turned on after like first grade. <laughs> like that was like off for, for us. It would be like 106 in part. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Like okay. when gotcha. I got older, you know, because the box phased out after a while. But you know, when I was when I was at that age, the the main thing I remember from that video was like the only time I'd ever seen a white person growing up where I grew up was at school, my kindergarten teacher, or whatever. And of course. So when when he had that part of the video where it cut away to a, a white news reporter, a white female news reporter, he was like, mind your business, lady. I was like, that was my favorite part of the video. I knew that shit by heart. I knew when it was coming. I knew what part of the video was going to lead up to it. Right. I was ready. But uh, So what about, uh, his, what about your really, life? So what about, what uh, about? Well, I'm my, sure. my connection. My connection to that grew when I um, when I saw his second video uh, that was off of uh, Flesh of My Flesh, Blood of My Blood, and it was uh, called Slipping. And 
when he when he spoke in that that song, the the things he said, um, it was it was it resonated with me really deeply. And he talked about you know going through things. He did his first bit when he was seven years old. A lot of people don't know that about uh, he did what? He did his first bit. He was seven years old. He entered an institution at seven years old, which leads me to a lot of things that we're going to talk about later on in the episode. Um, mm -hmm as far as who he was and, and and those those things that led him to where he got to. But at seven years old, uh, I was seven when I first saw my, my first friend leave this world. And I he was already gone by the time I saw him. Um, friend of mine named Raymond, who always, uh, who, who also grew up in the, in the projects. Thank you. Um, I was on, on my way home from school one day and he was just in the parking lot. Somebody shot him in the head. That's 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 fucked up. That's but fucked up. when he talked about that, um, when he talked about you know where he was at that time, and then the, seeing the video, it, the imagery was so so powerful. You know, he was he was literally in a hole, and you know he was he was going through. Like the, just like the scenes that he set up for the video, you could tell he put a lot of thought into it, and I mm -hmm. feel so seen because I didn't talk about, I didn't really uh, open up about that until recently. I <laughs> uh, I'm in therapy, so I just talked to my therapist about it, and I talked to my fiance about it. Uh, you know, Tony. Yep. And, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'm not sure we open up about you know relationships, you know, uh, relationships. Uh, <laughs> We probably get there at some point, right? But um, but it was just more so like I I didn't talk to anybody about it because at the time, and I realized now how fucked up it sounds. But I didn't think it was worth mentioning. I told my mom what was she gonna do. I knew he was dead already. You know, telling my brother, he, he came over to play video games with us before. You know, a few times that summer. But mm -hmm. what was telling my little brother about our dead friend gonna do? But make him sad. And at the same time, I didn't feel like dealing with my brother sad. At the time, he was a very sensitive kid. He would cry when my mom left for work. <laughs> so, so, you know what I mean? That's not, that's not, really, that's not who I'm gonna look to for, you know, feeling consoled. Right. It was just like, I, I really, even at that time, I think I was numb, you know what I mean? So, uh, and then as time went on, uh, after, you know, me and my dad, you know, we, we he increased my relationship with East Coast rap because at the time I was just a Tupac fan. And, uh, you know, I was a Tupac major West Coast fan, you know, uh, I got into a little bit of a no limit at the time, but I didn't really get into East Coast rap because again, I was West Side <laughs> hard as hell. Cali boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, cuz. Like, I feel it. I feel it. Because when I say that, like, he threw up he, the W, he, by the way, just to let everybody know. He threw up the W. Like, he said, I'm going to do this for this show. I'm going to make sure that you feel that I'm from Cali. That's what he said. No. You know what's crazy, though? Like, I can see why somebody would say that the more I thought about it. Like, when you first told me, you first said that shit. <laughs> like, like Tupac said, when you first said that shit, I was kind of tripped, right? <laughs> but no, nah, um, my my grandfather is from Los Angeles. My mom was born in Los Angeles, and uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, no, uh, 
not really something to talk about because you know they they you know they we we, we still ended up in Cleveland. So, so like, <laughs> <laughs> I got you. You chose to come here, like <laughs> man of all places. Uh, <laughs> but then you know when I'm I, I lived in LA for a couple of years, so like. I will say I felt a connection to LA when I moved to LA, and it's it's very rare that like I feel home anywhere, but it definitely felt you know there's a there's an embracing of people of color there, like there's a community of of black people there. So like when you see a black person who's like, oh I'm not from here, but they don't really give a fuck. They was like, oh you black, welcome. <laughs> that's, how, that's how you the type of treatment you get. And I love it, you know, never really experienced that here in, in Cleveland. You know, I still love my city though. Yeah. Um, but uh, Peace, you know, uh, do you have a, a relationship with Mr. Uh, Mr. Um, Simmons? So I would say for like, I caught the, like the extent of the knowledge of my generation of DMX is where my dog's at in like a, like a TikTok or something or in like a, or or a vine, a vine. That's what it started out with, like a vine. Like that's like, or maybe like watching like a video or some. Or you see the um the one song he had where he was naming a whole bunch of women. Like you can hear it in my voice oh. how uneducated I am about DMX's music. You can hear it. Like I there's I just feel like there's a big gap. Like we just kind of look at him as a hip hop mogul, but he's just like like that's not like. I feel like our generation is really slacking behind. Like the people that really be pretending, quote unquote, I guess. Hold on, slow Cleveland bikers driving down my street right now. <laughs> Hold on. But the extent of our knowledge as far as DMX goes, we just kind of look at him as a hip hop mogul. So it's kind of like uh, we put 50 Cent in that category. Like people in my, my generation, we didn't, we didn't grow up listening to 50 Cent. Like that wasn't our thing. We just look at 50 Cent. Like he's just like, he's goaded in the game. So that's just kind of like DMX is like one of those, one of those categories. So DMX never really had a personal impact on my life. And I'm not really sure what the correlation would be between somebody else in my generation. I'm not really sure, but I just feel like we didn't, we wasn't around for it. So, and I just feel like DMX made music, uh huh? No, no, no. I, you know what? I actually, I understand why you would say that. Uh, with 50 Cent, 50 Cent careers fizzled out because, like, his, his rap career fizzled out because he, at, at a certain point, beef can grow your career, but, you know, at a certain point when that's all you do, like, instead of pushing art versus, like, you know, always fighting with somebody, that's what, that's all people see it, and that should get tired real fast. Like, he didn't really grow as a rapper. Like you hear 50 Cent now and low key, some of his shit still sound the same as when he was rapping when he first came out. Yeah. And that's like, you know, that's why Kanye West survives all the crazy shit he does because his art continues to grow. Like you will still listen to something like, and, and hear the beat or the production behind him like, ugh. <laughs> you know, he produces people like Travis Scott and you still be like, Hear sicko mode or something that you know he, he got behind or helped help cook out like Pusha T obviously I mean honestly is one of one of my favorite uh catalogs to listen to but Kanye West has helped that catalog a lot Jay-Z as well mm -hmm. although I I don't agree with the fact that uh somebody put up a meme was like uh 
Jay-Z needed Kanye West more than Kanye West needed Jay-Z. And that's false. That's in my opinion, that's false. Yeah, yeah. Wait, that's, that's one more thing. time. One more time. Somebody said one, somebody said, and we gonna have to add some, some type of sound effect to this shit. <laughs> yeah, somebody said Kanye West. Uh, Jay Z needed Kanye West more than Kanye West needed Jay Z. Jay Z literally Kanye, hopped on a hopped on the song and said, "Gave him twenty mil, twenty mil, twenty, twenty milli." It, it ain't a rapper outside of Dame Dash who can say, I mean, he ain't even a rapper. And there's not a person who can say that they gave Jay-Z some money. Or exactly. that they they gave Jay-Z something he needed. Unless if Biggie was still alive, maybe they, you know, you could you could go to rap rap yep. with Biggie. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's oh, it. Yeah. For That's sure. it. That's, That's it. That's it. Yeah, I don't yeah, whoever posted that, they need to get their peg deactivated. What was that? Facebook? Facebook? Might, I think it was a tweet. I think it was a tweet, uh, and that was stupid. Fucking Twitter. Fucking Twitter. Twitter, you can say whatever the fuck you want to. Of course. And people retweet it, because, you know, <laughs> it's like Wikipedia. Anybody can change the facts. <laughs> you know, my, my girlfriend said something very interesting to me. She said that Twitter is like the black news. Like, that's mm. what she... And, and you know what? And that's so terrible. I told her it was terrible. It's like, um, that you should not look at Twitter like that because people be saying whatever, and you know people like to chase. They like to chase crowds. So if everybody has this one opinion, you got them few outliers, right? But pretty much everybody wants to fit in and agree on something. So that's what they go to Twitter for. So it might be some false information that you might latch on to on Twitter, and you just running with it because you see a whole bunch of people agreeing with it. You know what's crazy though? I understand why she says that though. Um, there, there is such a big problem with black news and black people being so underreported that we rely on our peers to keep us informed. Like there, is, there are so many things. Perfect example: the Derek Chauvin trial. Like that wasn't advertised anywhere black. Yeah, nowhere. Well, Even still, the shade like, room. At, the shade room. The shade room got onto it two weeks in, two, three weeks in. The first week, the first day, the first day, the shade room should have been locked in. I think, wait, I don't, I'm not sure if they was that late. I, wait, how many days? It's only, I think it's what, day, what? I think they just finished up day 10 on what, Friday? They finished Where, up day 10 on Friday. In? To the trial? Yeah, the, the, uh, the how? Oh, oh, hey Siri, when did the Derek Chauvin trial start? <laughs> this trial started. I, it's looking like January eleventh. I, I, let me make sure that's that's a fact. But that's when it's looking like when the trial started. Bike life again? Huh? That's it. Is that bike life outside yes. again? Oh my god, man! You do the west side of Cleveland. They'll do something. <laughs> they'll do something for you for sure. They'll give you a show if you don't want to sleep. You know what? Go ahead. <laughs> I, I'm actually happy that uh, 
No, it, it ain't even that. I, like, I'm, I'm high-key happy that, you know, that we are celebrating him even here. You know what I mean? That's that's a very big thing. That's a... I don't know why... Uh, I don't know why, like, there was, there was stuff starting even, like, uh, a couple weeks before the trial. But you are right, we are in day 10, which is uh, still two weeks in. Because, you know... Court only happens Monday through Friday. Yeah, five we're days. Still, yeah, so mm-hmm. we didn't we didn't really for one, there was no warm-ups to it. If if there's a fight, <laughs> there's a celebrity fight, they are more locked into the the Jake Paul fight mm-hmm. than they you were locked what? into Good the point. Derek Chauvin trial. Good point. Because you it was the when you had said there was no warm-up. I'm gonna be honest, I didn't even know that I it was just like, oh, oh, he on trial now? Okay. Like one of those things, yeah. I, I didn't have yeah. a clue. Like, yeah. So I, I knew I it was see. coming up, but I knew it was coming up, but I didn't see anything. Cause I, I don't know how many. I actually implore black people to follow Sean King. Um, S S H A U N King on on IG on Instagram for our older folks. <laughs> no shade, just more so like, I'll say stuff and like, I'm at the cross section between the boomers and like, you know, the Generation Z and because I'm a millennial. And, and so like, with that, with that being said, it's like, I'll say some shit that's old to Generation Z, but for the boomers, it's like, what the fuck you just say? Like, you said some young shit, like, what? <laughs> I got yeah, you. Like, you in that, like, weird middle ground, right? I got you. Yeah, because it's like, I, I, you call me old in a heartbeat. Oh, and God. I talk to a, a, a boomer, and, I, and they were like, the fuck you just say? He's like, see, that's that young nigga shit. I'm like, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. <laughs> like, <sighs> and shit, if I say something, it don't matter what it is. Shit, it don't matter it's what it is. It's some young yeah, shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that's uh, here's the thing. It's very, it's very rare to find a person from Generation Z who don't feel like they know it all. Like, oh yeah. our, our cousin Dre. Oh yeah. God. Yeah. Uh, Mm, he, yeah. he he won't he ain't trying to hear nothing you said. Okay. Everything he knows as a member of Generation Z is fact. He is the prime example. Shout out to my dog, though. Follow him on YouTube, by the way. Yeah, Drake, Follow Drake him on YouTube, Dre OTG definitely does very great good content. Videos. He, great, yeah, great content. He does yeah, get him to videos. a thousand subscribers. Oh my god, he's so close. Please. So yeah, close. Yeah. Look, look, he his he pushes out great content, but I feel like he, you know he needs some variety in, in those views because you for one, I don't care how old you are, you're gonna likely post. Yeah, but. <laughs> you gonna like Facts. you gonna like when he posts, even if you think it's ridiculous. You gonna right. like when he posts. So give him some opinions, help him out because you know he is definitely Generation Z, and they they don't think they can do any wrong. And but you know if you are Generation, <clears throat> wait, 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 wait. No, no. If you, I'm like, if you're a millennial or a boomer, you you definitely know that Generation Z can be wrong a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but you were saying, but um. So uh, speaking on the Twitter part, um, my biggest thing was the whole RIP DMX, and he wasn't even dead. Ooh, the family, see, is- the family hasn't came out with anything. Though I believe was it the family lawyer that said, "Hey, he kept telling people to chill." Yeah, like, it was his. It was his manager. And, manager. And you know okay. what? 
let's 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 talk about this because I have the question: Are we did we do did we do right by DMX from mm. the day he went in? Oh, not even the day he went in. I want to say the last. Let's go for the last decade. And did we do right by DMX? Because I just uh, I've had a, a big birthday this past year, but when I was in high school, when I when I was in high school, and that was that was a while ago. I want to say I came out. I came out before the 2010s hit, and oh uh, nine actually just uh, let me let me not uh, exaggerate. I came out 2009. Oh, and yeah. I mean, hey, whatever. <laughs> uh, you know what? There's been a, a, a there's been a kid that has gone to kindergarten and graduated since the time I graduated. I just not realized that shit. Well, they'll be graduating this year, and that's yeah, that's weird. I, I don't I don't feel like that at all. But it, you know, beyond the point. But with that being said, he was ha- he was going through his first bout of a uh, of trouble. I want to say a couple years or a year before I graduated, and and the the thing he got in trouble for at the time, I think it was like it, he had got some tax evasion trouble, or it was like he had <laughs> DMX even impersonated a federal officer at a certain point and got in trouble for it. I think I remember uh, something like that. I was a little younger, so yeah. the detail is a little wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think he's just like, he wore a, a federal officer jacket and like, uh, I think, I don't, I'm not sure like what the, I, I want to say he commandeered some other vehicle, but I could, that could be wrong. It, it was, but he, he impersonated an officer. But at the time, that was where it resurfaced because, you know, Social media wasn't as big as it is now, so it wasn't public fact that DMX was struggling with drugs, mm-hmm. and it came out shortly after, and really quick, black people want to wash their hands of DMX. This was almost twelve years ago. I want to say more than twelve years ago, and uh, no, no, I, I came out in two thousand nine, but this was before my senior year. Right. Like I remember not being a senior at the time when when he got in trouble for that, and I, I can't remember what year it was, but I know I wasn't a senior yet. Mm-hmm. And with that, like we were ready to wash our hands of DMX and just like, oh man, he, he just crackhead, this and that. Blah, yeah, blah, blah. it's 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 but, a that's a that's a that's like one of the one of our biggest diseases, canceling people because yeah. of that. The moment we hear drugs, we hear drugs. Oh, drugs. Oh, lost hope. Lost. Can't, here's can't the thing. It. Here, here's the thing. Black people are the absolute worst when it comes to. <laughs> so, and I, I'm laughing because it's so frustrating. We're the absolute worst when hearing, "Oh my God, you feel victim to the trap that was set up for black people in the '80s, and it, and it's still working on you." How dare you? We're done with you. We can't. We can't have anything else to do with you. Like. Our our actual government, who the people who we trust to protect us after kidnapping our ancestors and bringing them here and leaving us with our resources for two centuries, two centuries. <laughs> after, oh my god, it's it's the most frustrating shit in the world because we we love Whitney. We love to talk about how nobody can do a better national anthem than her, but for. 10 years before she died, we were done with Whitney. Yeah, we cooking her though. Seeing her crackhead a, jokes oh, oh everywhere. 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 Every comedian had a crackhead joke about Whitney. 
Every uh-huh. last one. Every single one. And keep in mind, hey. I was young at the time. So you you know that young mind, it, 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 mm-hmm. when you hear certain stuff, it influences your opinions very strongly. So in my head, Whitney Houston is a crackhead. Sierra is a man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, so... I'll, we we gonna get there. We we I, I don't know if it's gonna be this ep- that, this episode. Yeah, we, oh, we can get down there. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like yeah. me, that's like uh, I'm just kind of bringing it back to like my like my perspective because yeah. all the stuff that you that you talking about, like you remember it vividly because you were an older adult. I mean, you were an adult, so you was able to process that. I'm young. Yeah, I'm just scared. I, I, mean, I was just a, I was just a teenager, and see, I got I got a unique perspective because. While I, I was hearing adults having these conversations, I I had some unique experiences as far as a teenager, which for a lot of people, I was bad as hell, you know what I'm saying? But these were uh, things that I did that were necessary. So I get to see a lot of the, what a lot of people like to call the underworld and, you know, you know, drugs, underworld. drug addicts. And, what you are, yeah. a Grim Reaper, my nigga? <laughs> the fuck? The, the underworld. The criminal underworld or whatever is what you call it. But, uh, Golly. but I mean, you, you're right. I, I mean, at the same time, like it, it's it's weird how we look at that, but the black the black community has pro- not prospered, but survived off the back of criminology for quite some time. That's our culture. And our culture is based off of it. And, and, and oh, the thing, they can't like, see the air quotes. I I I did air quotes. That's our culture. Yeah, because I, I I don't like the fact that our culture is dumbed down to just you know criminal acts. That's I, I definitely don't oh, like it's, that. It's criminal but, acts, gold chains, and rapping and basketball. That's our culture. And and yeah, and drip. No, drip is the new like oh, oh drip. Oh whew, man, I seen okay. Sorry, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get yeah, yeah, right. track. Let me just say this though. They had a, um, it was a picture of this uh, of this white dude, super fresh. And I guess he it went viral because he was getting cooked. He had a real fresh suit on and his caption was dripped out. And you just saw people like commenting, like he trying to be black. He trying to be black. He trying to be black. And it's like, like, I mean, he got a couple of chains on. Like he got a suit on, like a nice little jogging suit on. Like that's what you associate trying to be black. Like it's, it's, it's and, and this is why that that's the re- that's the reason why white people will say I grew up poor in the projects or in the hood. I can understand what it's like to be black. Oh, mm. that's yeah, I know. Yeah, that's that, one of those that cringy. That's one of those cringy yeah. moments right there. Because that's that's yeah. literally that's you know what I'm gonna say it like this. If you dang this would have been we, we could have. We should have saved this one for the, our, our dear white people segment because our, our dear white people segment. Um, I oh, like no, we, we, you, I know you're going, but we, we used this one last time with Jay. We used this one. I know you, where you're going, so go ahead. Go ahead. If you don't look the part, it does not matter where you grew up at because if you was to go to an environment where people look like you, it would have no effect on you. But versus mm-hmm. me, it doesn't matter. I'm hated by my own people. I'm hated by other people. I'm hated by the government. I'm hated regardless because of the way that I look. Not where I grew up at, not how much money I have. It don't matter if I had a million dollars in the bank. I'm still a nigga. Jay-Z said it perfectly. And, and, and here's, here's the sad part is, like there are systems in place that have been in place for 
centuries now that make sure that that is the case. Mm-hmm. It's not just, you know, you could, you could attach your whole body and, 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 you know, all you gotta do is cover up your sleeves and, you know, I got the money. They'll look at you like a hipster and, and move on. Oh, you still white. Or, or it'll be like this. You're more likely, like, let's say I'm fully tied up and a white dude fully tied up. It's more like, um, like he deserves more of a second chance, I guess. Than yeah, I do. You know, perfect example. You remember the song Miss New Booty? Miss New Booty, who by who? Bubba Sparks. Um, bro, it, it was it was a long time ago, around the same time we talked about. It was like, I found you, Miss New Booty. It was like, it was super old. It was like in the Dim Franchise Boys era. Oh, Inked up. He was a, he was a fat, he, he, was a, he was a big dude. He lost some weight and he started wearing, you know, he started wearing some, you know, collared shirts and sleeves and shit like that. He's a found again Christian and nobody looks at him as a rapper. <laughs> he can go anywhere in public and somebody just look at him as a, a white guy who might have had a rebellious stage when he was a teenager. Hey, like, like him going through, like, just listen to the logic. Obviously, okay, please don't take my words. Now, I'm not talking to you, talking to the audience. Please don't take yeah, my yeah, words. Yeah. And so I'm just, I'm just saying it like this so people can hear how silly this sounds. So him, quote unquote, acting black was considered a rebellious state. Tell me how much sense that makes. Like that's what our culture has been dwindled down to, to where our culture is, oh, if you head that way, that just means you're being a rebel. You're going against the grain. Like our culture is going against the grain. Mm-hmm. And it's just the stigma that we, we've been trying to fight. Well, I'm not gonna say we've been trying to fight it because I mean, shit, we, we I, I add on to it. You know, I'm a, I'm a part of it. I'm a part of the problem. I'm not gonna exclude myself from being a part of the problem, but like, it's just the stigma where, oh, because I, I, I wouldn't say started, being a part of huh? the problem. I wouldn't say being a part of the problem. Now I'm Look saying I do Barker. certain things that contribute to things like that, like the music that I listen to, and then the way I Here, carry myself. Huh? Let me let me let me correct you because like we 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 will have these conversations, at, you know. And don't get me wrong, I, I'm not trying to you know scorn you or wag my finger because I, I I mean. I, I don't shy away from using the word nigga for for a lot of reasons. Like there's a, I got a whole thesis on this shit, but but there we shy away from like things like that because white people will tie it to what it means to be black. Where it's like, it's part of our culture, our overall culture. It's not the whole culture. Mm-hmm. It's a part of it. It's a piece of it. Like people will see Travis Barker inked up from chin to fucking ankle. He's now dating a Kardashian and he still won't be associated with being black because they love the fact that he's a punk rocker. That's, that is, that is, that's who they are. That is a hip hop is a section of our culture, hip hop. And the way we tell our stories, it, it goes all the way back to the goddamn plantation as to how, you know, as to what our culture is at the same time that people were on the plantation playing the drums made out of animal skins and shit that they could find that white people wouldn't take away from them or beat them for having. And to and at the same time, Frederick Douglass was going to, you know, was trying to build Tuskegee University and trying to help free black people. 
those two things happened at the same time. Those two things weren't separate. So like when you when you say like I'm a part of the problem, no, 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 no. You're you're experiencing or you know taking advantage or living a part of the culture that is available to you as a black man. Now I feel like you, like I, that is I feel like you misunderstood. I wasn't speaking on like me listening to the music. I'm really speaking yeah. about the fact of the 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 type of things that the the music promotes, like the music I listen to, like like real hardcore oh, I, drill music, like killing, and it, like I'm relating it back to the behaviors that the white people might listen to in black music. They think if they display those same behaviors, that it's a part of our culture, like killing and robberies and and, and slapping and beating your baby moms and. I, I listen to you, all that you type know of how music. Much, you know how much white people talk about slitting their own wrists and shit like that, and talk. And they still have the same the nerve to talk about. Right, it goes both ways though. Because I look at that, I, I look at suicide, like slicing, like su- like cutting your wrist. I look at that, and I'm gonna be as unfair as it sounds. I look at it as white culture. I look at it as like that's, that's what white people do. That's white people shit. You understand what I'm saying? Like, okay, and that's. And that I would say that would be a problem because we we make knee jerk reactions as 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 Americans. That's just what we do. Like that's I don't I don't I wouldn't say that's black culture or white culture. I would say that's American culture. We make snap judgments all the time, mm-hmm. and that's just that's just what we do. Every, put it like this: we we hear the first part of something, the first headline. And we already got a story built in our minds as Americans. Everywhere else, they have a full story and news report outside of our country on the shit that's going on in our country. There's a motherfucker in the UK that can tell you more about what's going on in the US today than you do, than you know as somebody who lives here. I follow, that's that's funny you bring it up. I have a very popular YouTuber, his name is Trap. His, his, he's a, a UK like white dude, like, and all his his whole YouTube is devoted to breaking down gang gang culture and rap music and violence. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like, and I, I, he's teaching me like, oh my, oh my god, I didn't know nothing about this. UK, never been over here, never ever. Like he's he, he oh of course he's been to the states. Let me not say that he's been to the states before, but I'm saying he never lived over here. He has no idea, but he's teaching me, you know, like he's teaching me certain things. So I get what you're saying. You, you know what, you know what I want to ask a UK, one of my UK friends, and I still, I, every time I talk to him, because it's like, we take such big breaks from talking to each other. I always want to ask my UK friends, do you know, how, how long have you known about our actual government poisoning my people with crack in our neighborhoods for the last 40 years? And then have the nerve to talk about for the last three to four years about the opioid epidemic. The opioid epidemic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're not laughing at people who are addicted. We're not laughing at the addiction. No, no, that's my, my Trump. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my, my Trump uh, impersonation. How was it? You know, you, you, does that sound orange? Does that sound orange? <laughs> <laughs> Sound very secrecy, my boy. Very secrecy, my boy. <laughs> oh, I, I give you, a, I give you an eight. I give you an eight out of ten. 
You got to You, you didn't pop your shoulders. Out. They can't see you, so I, I'm looking at you. I, I, I'm looking at you. You didn't pop your shoulders out. Your shoulders got to be. You, you know out. what? I I should have I should have did the you know the, the cricket you know throwing up the B you know just the opioid oh, epidemic. Oh my yeah. god! Oh man! I can't wait till we get this on video. <laughs> Cause he do look foolish as hell, thinking he doing something. Boy, if you don't put them little ass, his hands little as hell too. You see his hands, Man, little ass hands. Is. Oh God, you know he got cartoon kid hands. <laughs> no, I, no, most motherfuckers don't know the, the full name for Charles Lee Ray. He got Chucky hands. <laughs> he got, he got <laughs> Wait, hold on, hold on. Every time he put his hands up, I feel like he. I'm about to hear this. Let me see if I can do it. <laughs> oh, shit. oh man! Okay, that was good. I know the show's called "Can't Be Canceled." That was good. That, that was good. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> Hey, ladies and gentlemen, he practiced that, okay? Every day, he's been waiting for that moment to pull out that Chucky impersonation. I'm telling hey, you. Hey, no, no. Fun, fun fact, I was a horrible big cousin growing up. Um, I'm the oldest grandchild of my family. I had a little cousin who was afraid, definitely afraid of Chucky. My aunt uh, was one of those aunts who, who dropped their kids off all the time. You know, my cousin spent the lot, night a lot, <laughs> a lot. Me and my brother had bunk beds. I waited for my brother and my cousin to go to come to bed one night and I hid underneath the bottom bunk bed and I waited five minutes and I did this laugh. My cousin damn near pissed this. He he peed on himself running down the hall. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking evil. You evil ass. Oh man. That's evil I, as fuck. Oh, man. <laughs> Oh, I'm so no, no. I'm, I'm gonna tell you the karma. I'm gonna tell you the karma because you've been around me long enough. I cannot lose that laugh for shit. When I feel really petty and I'm laughing at some shit that's super inappropriate, I laugh like that. I can't stop laughing like that for them shit. <laughs> I got like four laughs, and that's one of them. And it's the, it's the most common one. Most motherfuckers know I got a high pitched laugh, and I'm like, that's not my. It's not my normal laugh. I just can't stop. I can't stop it. I can't help it. Oh uh, man, oh, you don't be thinking about it. Like, oh my god, I'm losing no, the air I, in my I, chest. I, <laughs> when when I, when it happens, I'm like, oh my god, I'm doing this laugh. <laughs> 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 I swear, like I'll be listening. You'll be listening to this show and hear you laugh. Like, do they got a third person on there? Another gangster? <laughs> like an audience or something? <laughs> All white audience. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, because I'm trying not to do it. <laughs> Look, you lower the octaves now. <laughs> oh. oh shit! <laughs> All right, moving back, moving back to where. Uh... <laughs> All right, with with my pettiness. Let's talk about the fact that are are we are we serving DMX well? Did we from from the last ten years we we want to wash our hands? We we talked about how we want to wash our hands with them for being a drug addict. Where let, let's you know just to 
be uh, you know set a parallel up for us. White uh, celebrities are not I won't, praised, memorized, and almost clouded for having drugs in their history. Kurt Cobain is forever a legend, but he's for he is a he's a past drug addict. He was a drug, not even past drug addict. He was a drug addict the entire time he was an artist, mm-hmm. and he committed suicide. Things that for the black community could be argued as. You know, somebody would argue that that was a sign of weakness, and I, I definitely would never make that argument for anybody who suffers enough to to want to take themselves out of a, a life being lived. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, or you know, just just any number of things that white people, you know, make people martyrs for all the time. Whereas black people will cut someone out of the culture because excuse me, because those are things that we would ourselves be demonized for, and, and, you know, walking around. We don't, we don't embrace each other. And, you know, the things that white people would, would say are stigmas for black people, because being a drug addict has been a long time, crackheads are almost synonymous with poor black people. Thanks. You know, so when you talk about the opioid epidemic, you're just talking about, you know, pill popping white kids. But that doesn't include crackheads, and we we talk to the fact that like you know I don't you know I don't donate to you know certain types of people when it comes to like you know if I see a a uh, black homeless person or a vagrant I, I like to uh, refer to you know homeless people as vagrants so because uh, that's the proper term you know when I see a black vagrant I'll proper give to that term. person wait but there's a proper I didn't know that there was a proper terminology for it uh displaced people is that, say homeless? Is the term that we uh, 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 it's offensive to say homeless as well as bum these days. Uh, vagrants has no, long been a term. Yeah, no, we're in a PC culture. Uh, it be canceled. Yeah, and yeah, but displaced people. I, I've always used vagrant because, like, uh, where I grew up, there were plenty of vagrants, and you know, I also knew quite a few. Uh, I, I, I use the term junkie. Uh, if it offends anybody, I can see that being I, offensive. That's I've been called a bro. I've been called a junkie before, so that really oh, I, I, by my own father, you know. So really, yeah. Why is that? Well, I had um, when I was about like what seventh grade. Um, seventh grade, I came to my mom. About 14, 13, 14 years old. Um, in seventh 15. grade, I think I was twelve. I was 12. 12? 12. 12? 12. Yeah. Damn. Okay. My birthday is later in the year, so like uh, you know. I started a year behind most people. I didn't realize I was that fucking behind. But go ahead. I, I think I was no. I I, was, I, I repeated the grade, so I was thirteen years old. So when okay. I was younger, story time. When I was younger, I had a a, um, a babysitter who left me with these two teenage girls. These two preteen, very sexually horny girls. I was three years old at the time. And basically I lived a life at three years old of like being like a sex slave for these, you know, for these young ladies. Um, and mm-hmm. at the time you, I was getting tortured. Like, and then, you know, you call me, call out to your moms, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to really get deep into that story because that's not really the main focus. Yeah, yeah. But <clears throat> yeah. when I was in seventh got, grade- We have a conversation about that later on. Right. Yeah, yeah. When I was in seventh grade, um, I had finally came to my mom's about it. And I, I explained it to her. And just like you said, we so quick to, you know, kind of push things off. My mom's kind of gave me the same type of vibe. So I felt like I didn't have the support that I needed. 
So my dad at the time had been there. Definitely been there. He, he had um, um, and, and, uh, and before you move on, I I, I want to speak to like that was fucked up, and uh, you know I'm not saying anything against your parents because they probably were not well equipped emotionally, but I that was very fucked up, and you definitely should have had the support necessary to to deal with like that because nobody nobody should ever put you in a position to like develop or mature before a time that you're you're prepared for it and we don't even force adults to mature at a faster pace and to be put in a position to where you can't understand what the fuck is happening or being done to you Mm -hmm. you know sexual acts are very very complex in nature both spiritually physically and emotionally so Mm -hmm. to to be put in that position i I am, I am I definitely sorrow for you and uh, you know I support you and you know however you need to heal at any point in your life. I appreciate it. Now um I uh, think bro. my healing the first, yeah, the the first, my first avenue, which is what I'm about to get into, my dad, he had uh dental surgery, so he was getting Vicodin. So that was like my first experience of like taking something where I saw it makes you drowsy because I was so angry. You gotta understand, like I was a very angry kid. And like, I just, I couldn't, like, I was just so angry at the world. So I wanted to just go to school and not have to yell or argue with somebody. I just wanted to go to sleep or, or just be chill. So I took my dad's bike in and I was taking it for a while and it was cool. But then it got to a point where like, once it ran out, like you get the sweats and you get the, cause you, like, I didn't want, I'm, I'm, I'm 13 years old. My body is going to rely on this, you know, way faster than, you know, an adult. This is, this is yeah. prescribed for an adult. And I'm taking it as at I'm 13. So the addiction started when I was in the seventh grade, and uh, I we kept spoke it. a little about this on uh, on my other on the other podcast I have with the other black guy. Oh, I did, I did, I did, I did, I did. Uh, you were you say you made a, a concoction that like, was kind of like lean for you? Oh yeah, but that was like tenth grade. Like I was dealing, I've dealt, yeah, I, I, yeah. This is I dealt with this for a long time. In my in my mm. opinion, it was long for me. Yeah, no, 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 no. That's still you know anything longer than a, than a day because addiction is uh, it's a different monster. I've I've also had my crossroad with like uh, continue, continue. But um, um, so. Yeah, I was I was getting away with it for a while, and then I, once I ran out, I started seeking other things. So I went through all the pill bottles, like anything I could see. I was snooping in my parents' room, just just taking all types of things. This is a thirteen year old, and it transitioned the next year and um, into eighth grade year, and where my parents had finally caught me. They caught on to what was going on. They they sent me to to counseling, and sending me to counseling, I wasn't. I wasn't too keen in on like sitting in front of somebody and talking to them about it. So the fact that I was addicted to drugs, I was addicted to prescription medication, or I was I was I was addicted to anything that would make me drowsy, anything that would make me dizzy. The fact that I wasn't accepting the counseling, and the fact that um, I wasn't receptive to um, what they had to say because I was so angry at them, I got called things like um, junkie. Uh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Granted, these all came with apologies at some point, but it doesn't matter. Like I was 13, 14 years old, but yeah. I got called junkie. I got called crackhead. I got called addict. Yeah, addict. Yeah, addict. Yeah. I got called all those things, and it's like you know when when you hear like I never, I don't think I've, I don't want to be wrong, and I don't want to hip- be a hypocrite, but I just feel like once people bring up like addiction, I don't like take it as like a joke or anything like that because I've been called 
those things. And I've sat there and I like your parent, you know, your parent, the one who raising you and supposed to love you. And it's technically helping you, I guess, by sending you to counseling. But since you're not receptive to that help, it's like, yeah, you get yeah. kind of pushed away. Like, oh, well, if you want to sit there and, and die because you want to pop pills at a young age. Fine. Be my guest. Like like one of those type of vibes, you know. I'm not saying yeah, like yeah. I'm not saying that's what my mom. My mom never came out and said that, but that was the vibe that I was getting. You know, yeah, yeah. I'm young, so mm-hmm. I feel like if I was a, you know, obviously if I was an adult, I'd be able to maybe understand. But coming from a young perspective, the vibe that I was getting was, you know, hey, you kind of on your own. And, and you don't want to take this help, and you kind of on your own. So names like that kind of came up, and it, it sticks with me for a long time. It, it mean, it hurts me to this day. Like you know, little little tiny stuff. I, like that. You know what? And, and I want to go ahead and speak to her because like uh. We do have a few few listeners, I'm pretty sure, who are around that age, and I want to speak to, like, um, like you know, I'm familiar, with, uh, uh, just a little familiar with your dad, because uh, our uncle, my, my uncle knows your dad, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they're actually like best friends or something like that. Yeah. But, um, but coming from that era where drugs hit them so, so hard. Whereas, like, I don't think they realized how they came across uh, not even so much d- just drugs, but so many things hit them so hard at that time to where the way they came at kids, the way, the way they thought they were helping us. Because my uncle definitely had, a, you know, you know, them being friends, I'm pretty sure that that had a, a big thing uh, to it. Is like them them coming the way he came at me before it didn't help. But I like now that I'm older, I understand the pain that he was experiencing, just like seeing somebody go through somebody like things that hurt him to witness at some point in his life. Yeah. And I, I I want those people and that that generation to, to hear us when, you know, the Reagan era is what they, they call those people, the uh, Generation X. You guys were in a constant state of mental abuse. Mm-hmm. So to to approach or even think about you know, us, our generation in the same, in a way that you think about us, I, I want to find a gentler way to say it. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's not okay. Because the way you're looking at us, it's not even from a cor- the correct lens. The way you look at the, some of your peers and your friends, the ones that have been victims of that, is wrong. It's one thing when you go through things by yourself, but when you've been put in a place to actually go through those things on purpose, you've been manipulated. The, the, the term that not is used in the medical field now is gaslighting. But oh, you've been right, right, right. You've been led to that place psychologically. You've been manipulated to, to fail in a certain way. And the best way to break somebody is not physically, it's mentally, spiritually, to, mm-hmm. so that that person doesn't get back up and inter- intervene in, in any way ever again. If you can't motivate yourself to to move forward in your own life, you won't move forward and, and you know intercepting or intervening in anything that's happening in your community, the government, or anything uh, in your own household. In your own household, as you as, absolutely like my my dad my, my dad and I don't want this to be a parent bashing thing. So let me let me give them mm-hmm. credit where it's due. Um, my parent, mm-hmm. my, my dad for sure, um, grew up in the crap epidemic. He was in the streets heavy, so he saw how like the crack epidemic hit and I and you can see like 
just like um, I don't know if he was talking about it during our breakdown or during the show. I'm not sure. I'm losing. I'm I'm losing my memory on it. But, yeah, I'll, I'll be able um, to track it. But um, just how our people treated the people who kind of got sucked into that lifestyle, like oh you, oh that's. I know we talked about it on the show. Yeah, we yeah, did. Okay, we did. Yeah. Crackhead, like crackhead, mm, crackhead can't help them. Can't help them. Like it's an addiction. You know, like they they thieves. Crackheads are thieves. He probably still in like uh, all like the the whole nine, and I understand like that was like he coming from a raw place like of emotion. That's why I said every every name that I was called was followed up with an apology. It's just like that natural mm-hmm. instinct from this is my history. This is how my people treated these kind of people, and I'm seeing it in my own household. And my son is not receptive to that to me trying to help him. So I don't know where else to go, but to maybe like insult you out of your addiction. You can't insult anyone out of their addiction. That stuff sticks with people for years. Like, like I said, I've dealt with a drug problem for four years. Like even to this day, I still find myself, like I think the latest, the last, I guess, uh, pill that I was kind of addicted to was sleeping pills. Like any kind of sleeping pill, like that was getting like I, any kind, I, I didn't care. So sleeping pills and and Nyquil and all of that. So, like, even to this day, I still find myself like, oh, you know, like if I'm having a bad day. But you know, you got to fight those urges. And it's like, I'm not gonna say, I'm not gonna do that. Well, if I had this, if I had that, I'm not gonna say that. Only thing I'm gonna say is, it's it's impossible to insult someone out of their addiction, especially if that's your own child or maybe a close friend, a close relative, you need to be more understanding of the power of addiction. And you know what, I, there's a, there, there's a, I, if I'm not mistaken, we were talking about, uh, you know, addiction being, you know, just being what it is. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I too have like, for my, for my family, I, I talk about all the time where it's like, uh, <laughs> I was at a point to where I was offered, I, I had a pretty extensive criminal activity life at a very young age. And I can bleep that out later. <laughs> but um, I'm about to say, man, that's just the first time you ever coming out with stuff like this. Yeah. Um, almost all of my friends, because I'm from East Cleveland, they so. They so white in some form, like you know, whether it was uh, crack or oh uh, my head. <laughs> uh, but I, I've been a witness to, to these things, and you know, I've never I never sold that uh, because my granddaddy was a junkie growing up, which is why I feel so comfortable call you know calling people you know who who have their problem junkies, and it's not like a slur for me. It's just a, it's a very short way to say, I'll talk about a very long problem. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and um, I just, I didn't want to, like I've seen some of my friends serve my grandfather, which was, it was weird. I would, at the time it wasn't fucked up. It didn't hurt me the way it should have, but because like the, the way it was desensitized within my own family, Whereas like I was dealing with my own shit from my family, the way they looked at me. And they didn't even look at me 
because I was already, I was always a weird kid anyway. So they, they never looked at me like, nobody thought I was a gangster. They, that was the last thing they would have suspected, honestly. Right. But <laughs> it was just more so, uh, it was just more so I was, I was a weird kid. I was smart and everybody knew that it can't, you know, push came to shove, Dom's going to beat somebody ass. <laughs> and that was pretty much what, what saved me at, at a certain point. Um, you know, I was able to fit into two worlds, you know, as a nerd in school, you know, I, I got into a lot of trouble and, you know, be, being able to fight helped me until it didn't. And then I had to have friends who would also have my back in those situations. But, you know, being in the street, you know, I didn't talk to too many people. So, you know, being able to fight just made me look, made me look tougher. When I'm right. be honest with you, you know, <laughs> By most people's standards, emotionally, it just—I'm sensitive as fuck. I was—I was soft. Like there was there was a lot of shit that I had to I had to really I, I I couldn't talk to people because it broke my heart. I had my heart broken on a daily basis, and, and I, I don't think people understand like to the things that you have to see and witness just to survive in those type of environments to to have your heart broken that often. To see somebody who looks like you at their worst, at rock fucking bottom. And oh, talking about, you know, dealing with depression. And uh, I, I, most people who follow me, uh, Buff Daddy Dom on Instagram, know I'm, uh, I'm actually, I actually started a YouTube channel. And there's gonna be a, uh, a video that the video I started with the trailer. Uh, this Tuesday, there's going to be a video that's put out uh, that goes with it. And I, I scrapped the entire first video. I deal with, with uh, what's called PTSD. But recently, I, I'm in therapy actively at the moment. Uh, I, I got an up, upgrade or an update to my diagnosis, which is what's called complex PTSD. And... <laughs> As it's a, it's as fucked up as it sounds. Put it like that. It's as fucked up as it sounds. <laughs> for real, for real. Um, and the reason I scrapped my entire first video is because I work out pretty avidly. Buff Daddy Dom is like a, a moniker I use because it's funny as shit to me. Like it was a, a thing <laughs> that people uh, put on me, and I, like I love, I liked it at first. It was really weird, but you know, after a while, I embraced it. Like you know. These are these are things I do love. I do love being a father. I do love working out. But most people don't know that the reason I work out is because I hurt throughout the day, throughout the week, Just your the hour even sometimes. That's I won't even say it's my sanctuary. It's like for sometimes it's like it does bring me solace. It brings me some type of peace. But on the, on most days I'm just trying to hurt physically the way I hurt mentally and emotionally all the time okay. it, because I, I, ra I was raised in an environment to where it wasn't okay to feel to to be hurting the way I hurt on, a, on an emotional level and for me I need to validate that physically so I'll, I'll put myself through as much physical pain as I can possibly uh, <laughs> manage and then sometimes it's not enough and the reason I scrapped my first video is because recently I almost got there. I almost got to that place that I, I've been looking for for so long. 
I've been, I, I lost my dad and it was the first time I got to a place to where it's like, no matter what, I'm going, this is going to be, this, that's the person that's in my corner. They, I feel good when he's around me. He makes me feel loved no matter what. And I've been to some really tough places with my dad mm-hmm. and then to lose that person. It, it was, it's been strange. It's been, I've been in a real place. So, you know, I, I postponed when I was going to drop the video and I redid it just in that light and hopefully help somebody. I don't want to just talk about myself, but I want to, I want to help somebody who may be going through what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. And I, and I feel like, you know, circling back around to our point with DMX, he was, he was isolated so much, especially being a famous person to where like he, he spoke to like, you know, he didn't, he didn't like Drake because of, you know, the way he called it, you know, he was being vulnerable. He didn't think that was real. And I can understand somebody who who's been as vulnerable as DMX talking about <laughs> being addicted to crack and, you know, and, and just struggling with the things that he was struggling with, hearing somebody talk about, oh, I had my heart broke by bitches and blah, blah, blah. That's, that's, I can see how that, pretty, but Black Twitter went to war with DMX. A man who, again, was addicted to, to crack, who, who had been laced with crack at 14 years mm-hmm. old. Yep. And, I, I you just know, saw the interview. And, and painful. I, I, I knew, like, I heard the song, but the way it happened to him, I had no idea. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, being in the place that I've been, like, see, again, seeing what I saw on a day-in, day-out basis, shattered me. Shattered me. Again, my my father, my dad, uh, brought me into East Coast rap. You know, you know, I wasn't really, again, wasn't really big on it. So when it came to the DMXs and the Maces, I think I, I spoke to it at one point, you know, just like how I was, you know, on a different episode, I talked about how I was hard West Coast rap, but my dad brought East Coast rap to me. And mm. DMX is one of those people. Wait, where's DMX and, from, like, by the way? I, I don't remember. Where is he from? Uh, he's, he's from New York. He's from New York. Okay. okay. I, 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 yeah. I, I, wanted, I was thinking that, but I got you. Yeah, and, uh, and, and it just the the vulnerability that he expressed on a day in day out basis, and from just his songs. Like when you seen the man have fun, he was having fun unapologetically at <laughs> funk concerts and all types of shit, singing, you know, R and B, the classic R and B. And when he was hurt, he was hurt. I, I've, I've seen three or four different Breakfast Club interviews where he was on the verge of tears. Yeah. And and that was one of the first people that I ever saw outside of my Uncle Tony. I don't know if you ever seen my uncle, my uncle get passionate. That was one of the first people I saw outside of my uncle to to talk about something and get passionate enough to where he down there cry. But you would look at this man, you'd be like, I do not want a problem with him because he looked like he would kill me. <laughs> and to 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 deny those same men that that vulnerability is why we have some of the problems that we have. We we have you can only fit into one box. And if you can't fit into that box as a black man, as a black person, a black a black woman, if you and then forget about being black and gay or black and lesbian or black and trans because there's no box for you on mainstream media. Mm. 